Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Daryl Chambliss, who is on the founding management team of Waste Connections, and he's currently the chief operating officer of the company. He graduated in December of 1987 from the Walton College of Business. Of course, it wasn't called the Walton College of Business then. His story uh, about building this business really starts in the LTL arena. That's correct. Where are you from originally? I call Arkansas home. Spent half my growing up years in uh, the Chicago area and then the uh, second half in uh, Arkansas and Tennessee and then attended the university. And when you attended the college, you majored in transportation. I did. And back then there weren't a lot of transportation majors, I know. I don't think so. I think there might have been 15 of us uh, when I was uh, an undergrad. This year, I think we're going to graduate something like 250 people in that area. You know, now it's went from being called transportation to logistics, and now it's called supply chain management. Yeah. And the demand for it's very high. So you were, you were certainly a pioneer in that <laughs> that area. What made you decide to major in transportation? Basically, I kind of fell into it. My uncle owned a truck line in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, back in the days before it was a deregulated industry. And my mother had worked for truck lines during my high school years. And uh, and I worked summer jobs on the loading docks occasionally and just kind of really got interested in the all of the movement, uh, all of the activity. It was really fast-paced, and that's what I liked. Now, right out of school, you went to work for ABF, which is now Arc Best. That's correct. And uh, in, in LTL, less than truckload transportation. And what did you do in your first job? I started out as a management trainee. I spent it uh, six months in Fayetteville, actually, post-graduation at the terminal they have there, uh, learning the business. Actually, prior to that, I had worked as a part-time employee for them at that terminal. And then they put me in their management trainee program upon graduation. And so I spent six months there uh, learning the business. Having Walmart as one of the largest customers was a uh, what made it uh, quite interesting, to say the least, with the uh, amount of activity we were doing with them at the time. And then after six months, they transferred me to Wichita, Kansas to become operations manager of the terminal there. And I spent about two and a half years in uh, Wichita uh, in that role before leaving the uh, LTL industry. So being in that role, how, how did that help prepare you for the future? What, what in particular did you gain from that position? One of the things I had some uh, really great examples to uh, learn from, you know, mentors, if you will. My first terminal manager in Fayetteville was a long-term industry veteran, really understood the business and really knew how to teach the business. When I went to Wichita, my terminal manager there was probably the polar opposite. He taught me everything not to do from a leadership perspective. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. one of the things that helped me prepare long-term is that I was this 24-year-old punk kid trying to get these middle-aged men to go out and do their jobs, uh, mostly in a union environment. Taking direction from a 24-year-old kid when 
they had been doing their job for 25 or 30 years. You had to learn how to communicate. You learn, had to learn how to build trust and so you could still get the job done effectively. And that helped me for all the way through my career. Yeah, I mean, those skills are invaluable. I think taking jobs like that where you're forced to work with people older than yourself, maybe more experienced, it's a good way to learn generally how to get along with people. And Very much so. It also will teach you how to stand up too and hold your ground when you need to hold your ground. It gave me a well-rounded aspect of people and getting things done through others. After ABF, mm-hmm. where did you go then? I uh, left ABF in the summer of 89, and I went to work for BFI Waste Systems. Uh, moved from Wichita, Kansas to Los Angeles. And uh, started as a management trainee there as well. Learned the business for a year, and I was with ABF for about six years. And then I went to work for another company uh, in the waste industry called Santafil and spent about two years with them, and then worked for a brief period of time for a company called United Waste before being asked to be a part of the founding management team of Waste Connections. What did you think about going into waste management as an industry? Honestly, when I was a kid growing up, seeing the garbage guys come around and pick up the trash at the house, I told myself I'd never never be involved in that. Never say never, I guess. But actually, I had a couple of friends that had joined BFI and they told me about the company and about the opportunities and really the principles of garbage collection at least are very similar to LTL freight. You're picking up and delivering garbage to the landfill instead of picking up packages and delivering them to the terminal or to the customers. And so then you you started building your operations with those principles? Yeah, it really gave me a, a good basis to understand the you know, the concept of routing and the concepts of asset utilization and uh, workload, if you will, for, for the drivers. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, today the company is has grown dramatically. Uh, your revenue is almost $5 billion a year. Mm-hmm. We started out, we started the company October 1st, 97. Uh, we did an initial purchase of operations in Vancouver, Washington, Issaquah, Washington, and Idaho Falls, Idaho. That totaled about $28 million of revenue. And when we went public in May of 1998, we were only, our annual revenue run rate was only $35 million. What was your market cap? The day we went public was approximately $350 million. Approximately, we went public at $12 a share. I think we issued about 127 million shares initially. What's your market cap now? Just north of 20 billion. Wow, that is impressive. Thank you. 20 billion. Yes, we've we've been very fortunate. We worked hard, but we had a lot of good fortune come our way. Not many people in their career have the opportunity to build a company of that much value. I mean, you this company's gained so much value over a relatively short period of time. You know, our, our focus has been to uh, operate in predominantly in suburban and rural America, where there's less competition. You can be the big fish in the small pond. And so we've always focused on returning value to shareholders and being very disciplined in our acquisitions, done over probably approaching 400 acquisitions in the last 20 years. 
and not trying to put dots on a map, but trying to acquire companies where we could leverage our strength, uh, leverage our market position, and then therefore return value to shareholders. So you've been doing acquisitions a couple of months. At least, yes. Uh, not every month, but there in the early days of the company and the first two, three years, there was one year we averaged one a week. I mean, this must have been so hard to manage. <laughs> it kept us busy. It, uh, we were all, you know, we were all on the road full time. We were luckily we were we were attracting quality assets and companies to buy. And in the early days, in a lot of those cases, the former owners agreed to stay on with us and continue to run their business for us just under our ownership. So that helped um, handle the volume and manage the, uh, the exponential growth. Obviously, you've been focused on returning value to the shareholders, that's clear. But I would imagine that uh, since you've, you've created so much value through M&A work, did you develop processes to make the M&A work more repeatable and, and efficient? Yes, we did. We One of the things we did from really virtually day one of the company is that once an, uh, an acquisition is closed, the former company never closes on their own books again. We, we In the first 30 days post-closing, we convert the, the accounting to our corporate accounting system. That way we have immediate control of the, the revenue flows and the expenses and things like that. We really don't look to go in and change, wholesale change what the companies are, are doing because quite frankly, they wouldn't be successful if, you know, how you get the job done doesn't have to be exactly the same everywhere and in every case. You know, we left a lot of the, you know, day-to-day stuff alone for the companies on their policies of, you know, time off, safety bonuses, things like that, that, you know, so the, it was minimally invasive or, or disruptive, if you will, to the employee base that we were acquiring. Um, so they could continue to run their business in a lot of ways as they had before. We control the checkbook, but we want them to be entrepreneurs. Do you share with them best practices? I know you've told me of some of the best practices about making sure you pick the right customers to serve, you know, not put, putting yourselves in or other people in danger. Yes. And then I remember you telling me about the cameras on the, the event recording technology that we have on our trucks. Yes, we have a formalized sales training program for our for those locations um, that require sales people in the field to teach people how to, you know, what the most effective selling process is. We also, you know, as far as our safety program uh, for the company is, we provide everybody the best practices of how to have an effective safety program. And our our safety program is really behavioral based. We try and change the bad behaviors of our employees um, and eliminate those bad behaviors to, to improve and minimize the risk for our employees while they're doing their jobs. You know, we have event recording technology in every truck, that, that uh, every vehicle, uh, whether it's a collection vehicle or even a support vehicle like a pickup truck, we have an event recorder in every vehicle so that uh, if there is an incident, we have a video of what occurred during that incident so that we can, you know, know what happened and have a learning experience from it. In many, many cases over the last 12 or so years we've been using this technology, it's actually exonerated our drivers in many cases uh, where, you know, you have an incident and it's, you know, the person gets out and says, no, he hit me, you know, it's finger pointing, it's he said, she said, 
and we just have the police officer watch the video and it eliminates any uh, question as to what occurred and didn't occur. I would also imagine it gives you a bit of an advantage in the sense that drivers can learn a lot about how to do things right. Yes, they, they can. We use the clips for the driver that may have a, uh, exhibited a, a bad behavior. I, we use the clips to show them the bad behavior so that they can you know, change their behavior. But we also use the clips for general uh, education for our drivers to show them what can happen if certain if you do do or don't do certain things while you're operating the equipment. So as chief operating officer, what are your primary responsibilities here? So I oversee day-to-day operations of the of all of our uh, locations throughout the 42 states, five provinces of Canada. Um, it's about 500 operating locations. I also have fleet maintenance, procurement, routing, and uh, safety and risk are all under my area of responsibility. Since you've grown through acquisition, I would think in your business, routing is really important. It's very important. As the customer base changes, especially in the competitive markets that we operate in, you know, there's gaining customers, you're losing customers. Um, so you, you really need to be looking at your routing for efficiency purposes on a minimally on an annual basis to make sure that you don't have unbalanced routes or overloaded routes, what have you. That can also be an invaluable sales tool uh, as well because we can tell the sales reps, okay, we have all, here's the dots of all the customers we have in this 10 block radius, go after everybody else. And that's all incremental revenue that can come on at a much higher margin than the, hmm. the other revenue because you're only adding that extra little bit of time and, and uh, disposal to get it collected. In the trucking industry in general, there's high driver turnover. And there's a shortage of drivers. Very Is that much. true in your business as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. All, anybody who relies on commercial drivers uh, is suffering the same uh, impacts uh, that we currently are going through right now. The, with the economy being uh, what it is, the demand is exceptionally high for uh, CDL drivers. And there's more CDL drivers retiring currently than there are CDL drivers coming into people going out and getting their CDLs. I would think it would be challenging to train the drivers for customer service, but I would think it would be more challenging for you all to, to design that into your processes. Well, um, yeah, because we don't have as much face FaceTime interaction, if you will, as uh, an airline has or many other uh, service industries have. The reality is, is that most people, as long as their trash can's empty when they get home that night, they're happy. You know, when it's not, then they call. And that's when service breaks down. So really, we focus on, you know, making sure the drivers complete their routes and, and they leave their the customer containers back in the same place where they uh, found them. And there's no, you know, litter left on the ground, things like that. So, and that's not hard to do. The good thing is we at a minimum, every new employee, whether they have industry experience or not, they go through a 10-day onboarding process with our company. So they go and they spend 10 days with a veteran driver. You know, those guys are the guy, the best of our bunches, if you will, and they teach them how to do it right. And that's, uh, so that's key to making sure they know the expectation and the expectation is set very quickly and, and right at the beginning of their employment. Daryl, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about your company or your experience? 
I think the one other thing that I'd like to uh, share, uh, and I think it's a, a key, very much a key to our success, is our um, servant leadership philosophy in our company. We adopted this, or started down this journey of servant leadership. It's not a process because it, it's it's never ending. We started down uh, the road of servant leadership probably now about 10, 12 years ago, uh, maybe even a little longer. But what we recognized was, um, first and foremost, our founder, Ken Blanchard, who's really the father of servant leadership, and re- and recognized that this is the you know, the way that we really need with the changing environment of, you know, the next generation coming up and really a way to attract and retain employees at all levels. This is the way we wanted our company to be run by our our field managers and and everyone. So I think that's been a key in in our company for uh, on a variety of levels. One, employee engagement, employee um, retention. I think it's also uh, been a key for us uh, to avoid a lot of unionization in our industry. We believe that we are here to be held accountable by, by the employees, not us always, us holding them accountable. You know, we, work, we realistically work for them uh, to help them succeed in their jobs every day. I think that perspective works in all aspects of life. It really does. We've had many comments from employees throughout the company where they said that, you know, now that they've learned and under and better understand the servant leadership philosophy and have practiced it for a number of years they've actually become a better leader but they've also become better at home and better in their communities so daryl if you could go back in time and speak to yourself while you were in the walton college and say make sure you do this or have some advice uh, for yourself and and really you know for the the current students because quite a few students will be listening to this what, what advice would you have? I always joke, I would have, if I knew then what I know now, I would have taken more psychology classes to learn how the mind works. Because uh, it's, it's very interesting when you get out and you're trying to lead people and, and where their perspectives are and things like that and, and why they think the way they think sometimes. But I think, you know, that's not completely joking. I think that understanding and learning more about that is, uh, is key for anyone who wants to be in a leadership role. I think the other thing I would go back and look at doing differently or have, wish I had recognized back in my days at the, at the university was uh, taking more finance and, and accounting classes. Because while our industry is an old old world industry, if you will, I mean, it's pretty, it's you know, still got a fair amount of manual labor and things like that. I mean, we've got a lot of technology in our industry these days and more coming every day. You know, it still comes down to you know, you got to have the, you got to understand finances to be able to run, to effectively run your business and to keep yourself on the right path for whether you're a public company or a private company, uh, to be able to have the, uh, the assets and the cash and, and everything you want to do to, to grow your business. I hear that a lot. <laughs> that, that's a good one. Yeah. So Daryl, um, based on your passion and, and things you're really interested in, excited about, what would you like to see in terms of how maybe students of the Walton College go or how the Walton College itself goes? What What are some things that you're passionate about? One of the things I'd love to see, and you know, and we, we have some of it in going on right now in our company, but we need more. We need more young leaders. 
Uh, we need more people to that are willing. Uh, and, and quite frankly, this is not the most attractive business for a recent graduate, if you will. They hear garbage and they're like, man, eh, not me. And I get that. But I think to see these young uh, individuals come out and really immerse themselves in our, our, our business and really our business or any other business, you know, someone coming out of school that that is not afraid or, or is willing to really do anything, I think they will have a more fulfilling and well and successful career. To give you a prime example, when I first got into the uh, my first day on the job, I was second day on the job in the garbage business, I spent on the back of a truck slinging garbage. Trust me, I wondered what I got myself into, <laughs> but I think it's invaluable to understand the, the business from, the, from what the frontline employees are doing. So being willing to just do anything, whether even if it's not specifically your specialty. So I think that gives you a better perspective on everything if you're going to ultimately become a, get into a leadership position. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.